You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. So today we're, uh, we're continuing a series we started last week called Living in the Shadows. And uh, before we jump in, I know we all lost an hour of sleep last night. And, uh, you know, if you have young kids, maybe a few more hours of sleep. But um, for those here in person, why don't you turn to your neighbor and, and let them know you look a little better without an hour of sleep. Can you do that? Can you do that? Just turn to your neighbor. Hey, you look a little better without an hour of sleep. For those watching online, let us know where you're watching from. All of our friends at one of the shelters, you can do this too. Look to your neighbor, tell them you look a little better without one hour of sleep, with one less hour of sleep. You guys look amazing. The bags under your eyes aren't that noticeable. So you're good. Uh, I can only see a handful of them from up here, so you're all good. Don't, don't sweat it. If uh, people look, ask you if you look like you got run over by a Mack truck, like, that's a compliment, okay? They're just trying to share how aware you are, uh, the world around you. Um, so, so today, we've been walking through this, this, uh, this series looking at this guy named John the Baptist. Before we uh, jump into that, I want to share this kind of research I, I found. There's a lady named uh, Philippa Lally. She's a health researcher uh, at the University College of London. And, and a study that was published in the European Journal of Social Psychology, Lally and her research team aimed at figuring out how long it takes for a habit to form. Uh, the study took place in 2010, examined the habits of 96 different people over the uh, course of about 12 weeks. Uh, each person chose one new habit for those 12 weeks and reported each day uh, on whether or not that they, they did the behavior and how automatic that behavior felt to them. Some people chose simple tasks like drinking a bottle of water with lunch. Others maybe a little bit more difficult tasks like uh, running for 15 minutes before dinner. At the end of the 12 weeks, the researchers analyzed the data and de- de- determined how long it took each person to go from starting a new behavior to the point where they automatically just did that behavior. On average, it took more than two months for a new behavior to become habitual or automatic, or, or precisely the exact number was 66 days on average. They discovered, that how, they discovered that how long it takes a new habit to form can vary widely be, between uh, the, the behavior, the person, and the circumstances that are around them. In Lally's study, it took anywhere from 18 days to up to 254 days for people to form a new habit. I want to see what the habit was that took 254 days. Um, my thought is that was eating their vegetables, but that's just my, uh, that's what I give up for Lent, if you ever want to know. Um, <laughs> So, so the question is, like, why does this matter? What, what, what's this have to do? Because as the saying goes, we're creatures of habit. And, and our habits make up a large part of what we do with our lives. Whether you're super organized or you are completely unorganized, we all have habits that fill up a good portion of our lives. The bad habits can be really difficult to break. The good habits can be really difficult to start. But they're all there. And you may have a habit of playing video games all night. That's how you kind of unwind and relax. Or or you might have a habit where you get up at 5, 6 a.m. every morning and you work out. Uh, These are both habits that that make up our lives. Hopefully, hopefully some of you have a habit of of bathing or showering regularly. Um, Maybe you have a habit of brushing your teeth consistently. All the dentists said amen on that one. Uh, A habit is nothing more than something you learn to do 
without having to think about it. You hopefully don't use your phone or your GPS to, to find your way home each day. You just know where to go without having to look. You don't have to think about how to tie your shoes or if you wear contacts, how to put your contacts in or if you wear makeup, how to put your makeup on. You, you just do it because it's a habitual behavior. Habits are an important part of our lives uh, because our brains are actually wired to conserve energy. And the more actions you can move into that kind of habitual uh, category, the less our brain, brains have to work uh, and, and we're able to, to do these repetitive tasks without exerting all of that energy. Because of this, habits are an integral part of every area of our lives and are actually one of the contributing factors to our overall health. That the more things you can kind of do habitually, the less your brain has to get overused, you're able to put that brain energy toward more important things. We have habits at home, at work, at school. We even have habits that are part of our hobby, hobbies and, and the things that we do to relax, to unwind, to, to like have fun. Now, one area that habits have historically been really key is it a person's exercise of faith or religion. In fact, religious practice is often, often at its peak when it becomes, whoa, that was scary. What was that? Man, oh man, I must peed my pants. That was a close one. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. There are bathrooms out there if you need them. So, so one of the areas that uh, I believe, uh, and we see this uh, throughout life, is when we're practicing religion, regardless of the religion, when our religious practice becomes habitual, um, we see that that practice gets better. Oh, we're, we're changing. Use this one. There we go. Thank you, Jason. We won't have that problem. Um, can you give it up for Jason? That was so good. He did that so so casually. It was really good. Um, so uh, regardless of what religion, a habit or routine, uh, these are integrated parts of every religious system that the human race has ever known. Whether, whether it's uh, Hinduism or Judaism or, or Islam or Christianity, this is because human beings are habitual beings. And, and our religious practices naturally lead us to institute religious habits that allow us to continue to do what we think is right, proper, and best. I'll give you an example of my own life. From, from the time I was a kid, I was taught and, and, and have practiced these religious habits in my life. Maybe some of them uh, are, are similar to ones that you have in your life as well. I, I take time to pray and to read God's word each day. Why? One, because I think it's healthy, but equally because it's a habit in my life that I've been doing a long time. Or, or any time I receive any sum of money, whether it's money I've earned that's gifted to me or any way received, right after I deposit it in the bank, I immediately tithe 10%. Why do I do that? Because I see the principle taught in scripture. I have watched God bless the rest when I give him my first, but equally because I made it a habit in my life a long time ago. Or, or, or every Sunday I get up and I go to church and I, I don't just go to church because I'm a pastor. I've been doing this since I was born. In fact, I feel really weird if I'm somewhere else on a Sunday morning rather than in church. Now it's healthy to gather and, and that's important, but equally, it's because I've ingrained this habit in my life. And you could even make a strong argument that the practice of religion in any form really is just a practice of doing divinely inspired, 
purposeful habits. This is why faith in any form and all forms can be so healthy for people walking through traumatic, uncertain situations because in the end, it brings order to their chaos. Now, if you're not a regular Bible reader, the assumption you might have uh, about this book we call the Bible is that it's really just a book uh, of uh, of faith-based routines or habits that that defend those routines or habits and, and shares the benefits of those routines or habits for our lives. After all, that's what most religious scriptures generally are, whether we're talking about the Quran, the the Vita, the the Book of Mormon, Buddhist scriptures. Uh, This generally sums up what most of those documents are. But but it leads me to this really important question that I want to kind of dive into this morning. It's this. If our faith, following Jesus, if our faith is defined by our habits, can we do enough to earn salvation or Christ's forgiveness. Like if, 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 if it's true that our faith, that this Bible uh, talks all about these religious habits and, and that's really what cons- our faith consists of, our, 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 our uh, uh, walk with Jesus, whatever you might want to call it. If that's what it is, can we ever do enough to earn it? In, in other words, can I ever be a good enough Christian? Like, like if we nail those habits, if we get the routines the Bible talks about down perfectly, will that be enough? Sure, sure, you might say our faith isn't defined by what we do. You know, that's called legalism. But, but then why are there so many rules and so many guidelines outlined in Scripture? And, and, and why, in fact, is, does James, the half-brother of Jesus, write this, that faith without works is dead? So can we ever do enough to experience salvation? And, and if we can't, if we can't, then why do anything at all? What's the point if our efforts, our habits, our works are never going to be enough for us? And while at face value, most Christians might quickly respond that our faith is not defined by these habits, they're not defined by what we do. If you dig a little deeper and actually watch the way many Christians live, you might get a very different answer. Because we are human beings and we are creatures of habit. We prioritize the doing over everything else because we can measure it and we can control it. For example, if you think, I, I prayed five times this week, you know, that's measurable and we feel less guilty. Or, or if you say, hey, I read three chapters of the Bible or eight verses this week, we can measure it and it makes us feel maybe a little more spiritual, religious, or, or more religiously mature. But, but is doing all of the right things or practices, is that what makes us a Christian? Like, like really, is that what following Jesus, being a Christian, is really all about? Now, this isn't really a new issue for us in 2023, but in the first century, Jewish religious leaders were remarkable doers. They were really good at doing the right things. Probably some of the best doers the human race has ever seen. They, they not only memorized all 613 of the laws in Jewish scripture, but they followed them perfectly down to the letter of the law. The, how they dressed, what they ate, who they were around, all of it was so closely controlled and disciplined. If you could do enough, I promise you these guys definitely had done enough. But, but then... Into that context, along comes this guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist, John broke all the rules. He didn't wear the right things. He didn't eat the right food. He definitely didn't carry himself as a normal religious figure might in the first century. 
Because of this, he ruffled a lot of feathers, got a lot of religious people pretty angry. So much so, he would eventually be imprisoned and, and beheaded. Now, when John the Baptist's ministry is first introduced, uh, Matthew's gospel, I think, provides the best description of what that ministry looked like. One of the reasons that that is is because Matthew gives uh, uh, this this unique perspective. He's he's primarily writing to a Jewish audience, and and with that unique audience in mind, he provides an even greater emphasis on the ways John broke the typical Jewish mold with his very abnormal approach. And and Matthew introduces John's ministry in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, and we're going to just read through some verses there. So Matthew, chapter 3, verse 1, here's what Matthew recorded. He said, first, in, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And I want to pause there for a second. What's so interesting about this is, is what made John so different at this time wasn't just what he was saying or what he was doing, but it was actually in where he was saying those things and doing those things. He was physically out in the wilderness. He was removed from the religious center of Judaism, which was Jerusalem. And rather than sitting around the temple courts teaching or preaching, instead of that, he was out in the middle of nowhere proclaiming his message. That was really odd in a lot of ways. And and here's what his message was, verse two. He would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And and this was the core of John's preaching. Number one, it was a salvation-oriented component where, where, where he called people ultimately to repent. And number two, there was kind of an end times orientation or component here where he talked about the fact that the kingdom of heaven was very near. Now, talking about the kingdom of heaven was pretty common for Jews to hear. This wasn't weird or odd or out of place. You see it throughout the Old Testament scriptures. But this idea that repentance was necessary to enter that kingdom was entirely new to them. Jews at this time who were listening to John talk, like this idea of repentance was foreign to them. And the question is, if Jews were really good at following the laws, what was the need for repentance? And here's why. It wasn't about what they were doing, but rather why they were doing it. Not, not just that they were following the letter of the law, but there was something deeper. And you see throughout the Old Testament these threads where God would kind of challenge the Israelites, his people, with this idea, hey, you're following laws, but it's not just about following the laws. There's something deeper there. This is what John's getting at. John's message was that a a change of mind and heart, in other words, to repent, was necessary before they qualified themselves to enter this kingdom. In other words, it wasn't about what they were doing, but that they were doing it with the wrong heart or the wrong motive. And and Matthew goes on, verse 3. It says, this is, what, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. So there was a prophecy uh, hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. Here's what Isaiah said. He said, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Verse four, John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. If, if you study first century uh, Jewish uh, customs, uh, Jewish religious leaders did not dress anything like that. Uh, that was kind of looked out, looked down upon. He, he's wearing uh, simple clothes. And it goes on, his food were, was locusts and wild honey. Verse five, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, last thing here, the idea of baptizing was very common for us in, you know, uh, you know first century or 21st century, you know, uh, uh, Protestant churches. Like, we, we do that. Most churches do that. Um, at this time, that was very foreign. Uh, Jews didn't just go get baptized like that. And here's what was unique uh, here. 
that we see. John was in a very uncommon location in the wilderness. He was sharing a very uncommon message, which was to repent in a very uncommon way, which was baptizing them. Why would God send someone like John the Baptist that did everything so differently than everyone else? Why would God send someone like John? He, he, he prophesied that through Isaiah that this was going to happen. Why would he do that? Uh, now, John the Baptist wasn't the first person to do things differently. If you go back to the Old Testament prophets, they did some very, very odd things from our perspective. Uh, for example, Ezekiel, he was told by God to go cook bread publicly for everyone to see over dung, which is another word for poop, okay? Um, we were just like getting into it today. Uh, this is what Ezekiel did. Like, that's gross. That's disgusting. Or, or Isaiah, he was told by God to go naked for three years. Not like three minutes, three years. Or Hosea, he was told by God to go marry a prostitute named Gomer. Why, why would God have people do such odd obscure things that these prophets did. John was following that same model. Why does God do this? It's to get people's attention so they might focus on what really matters, what matters most, to realize like what they're doing is maybe not quite right, proper. With John the Baptist, the focus and message of his ministry was not on what he was doing, but ultimately why he was doing it. And he was asked that question so many times. If you read through the Gospels, people were always confused, like, why, John, are you doing this? What are you? Are you, are you, is, are you Elijah? Are you one of these Old Testament prophets that's kind of come back to life? Like, why are you doing this? What, what's the meaning? And, and here's a simple thought that I want to share with you today about why we do this. Being a Christian is not about what you do, but who you pursue. John, would even, John the Baptist would even say it this in John chapter 3, verse 30. He said, he, speaking of Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. We are called to be followers of Jesus, not simply do what followers of Jesus do. We have had this, this, this tendency this is just our human nature, not just now, but throughout the last 2,000 years, where we do what followers of Jesus do, and what we end up being is just an imitation of the real thing. We aren't called to be imitations. Like, hey, I can, I can act like I'm a Christian. I can, I can play the part. We aren't called to play a part. We're called to live a life. It's not just about doing what Christians do, what followers of Jesus do. It's about actually following Jesus, the Apostle Paul would challenge the church in Rome with this idea in, in his, the letter he wrote to them. We, we know today as the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul wrote this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world? The routine, the habit, the way of this world. Don't conform to the routine or the habits of this world, but... Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the renewing of your mind requires us to not just do things mindlessly, right? Are mindless habits bad? No, I, I told, talked about it, like it's healthy. But when we do things mindlessly, when we're just like reciting prayers without even thinking about it, what, what are we doing? We're not transforming our mind. And he goes on, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In, in other words, your mind will identify more clearly where God is moving so you can follow him and not simply follow his ways. There's a book by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. It's an incredible book. Um, if you're ever trying to kind of decipher, God, what is your will for my life? God, what are you wanting to do? I strongly encourage you to go through this book, uh, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. But, but one of the things he, he talks about in the book that I love is so often we ask God to bless our efforts. 
Maybe, maybe you know, you're going into a, a, a project presentation at work or, or, or maybe you're trying to make a big decision with your life. You're, you, you and your spouse are looking to buy a house or you're starting a new business or, or, or you're trying to decide like whether or not you should go to church or whether or not you should go on a missions trip or whether or not you should do this or that. And, and you're asking God, God, just bless this effort. And, and what Henry Blackaby talks about is we often ask God to bless our efforts. He said a, a better approach is to identify where God is moving and to join him in his efforts and it's already blessed. This is the idea of following Jesus, not just asking God to follow us and bless everything we do. This is what Paul's writing about. See, the routines of, of reading God's word or taking time to pray, the routines of coming to church, of tithing, these are really good routines. But these aren't the things that define our faith. They simply are steps we take in our ultimate pursuit of Jesus. They are a means, not our end. Knowing Jesus should be always, should always be our end. As the worship team comes up this morning, I want to come back to this question I asked earlier. Can we ever do enough to earn salvation? And if not, should we do anything at all? Well, it's true. If we will never, we can never do enough to earn salvation. We can never do enough to earn the favor of God or the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Why? Because it's already given to us freely. Uh, whether you're here in person, watching along, like salvation, Jesus' forgiveness is given to every single one of us freely. We can't earn it. We'll never do enough to earn it. But we don't have to because he gives it to us. And doing more or mindlessly executing biblical routines or just going through the motions doesn't make us any more of a follower of Jesus than sitting in a barn makes us a cow. That doesn't work. Just because you're going through the motions, you know, some people would say, well, just fake it till you make it. It's not just about faking it. It's about knowing him because it's not about what you do. Being a Christian isn't about what you do, but who you pursue. It's not about the, the, the tasks or the things. It's about the person. God has called us not to practice our traditions or our religions in this world. He's called us and created us to be in relationship with him. You've maybe heard this. It's not about religion. It's about relationship, but it's true. It's not just cliche. Following Jesus isn't about a religious thing. It's not just about following this list of things you can just check off and be like, well, I'm in a good place. We might feel better because we can measure it, but it's ultimately about a relationship. We were created to pursue someone, not to simply do something. This is what makes Christianity such an outlier in the world religions. It's not about following rules, guidelines, or, or a religious writing strictly. It's about following a person and being in a relationship with the divine. What changes us from the inside out, what, what frees us from our past and our sin, what puts us in an entirely different path than our mistakes dictate should be happening, isn't us following all the commandments. It's the transformational pursuit of a savior. And it's understandable that this is a challenge because it's so abstract. Like, we can't fully measure it. We can't track it. But being a Christian is not about what you do. It's about who you pursue. And my question to you today is, have you allowed your exercise of faith to become about what you're doing or who you're pursuing? And, and I'm... I'm Listen to me here. I'm not saying that like praying and reading your Bible and, and, and coming to church, any of those things like are bad. I'm saying those aren't the things that 
make up your faith. Those are the things that maybe are your steps in pursuing Jesus. But in the end, in the end, that's not our goal. Because in the first century, those religious leaders who were so good at it, Jesus himself called them whitewashed tombs. Why? Because they looked perfect on the outside, but they were full of dead men's bones on the inside, he said. Meaning, they did all the right things, but they missed the heart of the matter. They missed the reason, the purpose. For you, it's not about have you prayed every single day the right amount of time and, and, and done all of this. It's are you pursuing Jesus? Every morning when you wake up, are you pursuing Jesus? When you go to school or to work, are you pursuing Jesus? When, 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 when you're parenting and trying to lead your kids well, are, are you pursuing Jesus and are you leading them to pursue Jesus? That's what we're here for. That's what it means to follow him. That's what it means to be a Christian. We're not just trying to, man, memorizing God's word is so healthy and good, but we're not just trying to memorize it and execute it perfectly. Because here's the deal. If you haven't realized this yet, perfection isn't something we can actually achieve as human beings. We'll fall short. And God isn't expecting perfection of us. He's asking for progress, not perfection. Meaning, are, are we just a few steps closer to him now than we were before? Maybe we'll take a couple steps back, but can we take a few more steps forward? Because we're pursuing him. We're not pursuing his expectation of the rules. I don't know about you, relationships don't go real well when expectations are held over your head. I don't care if it's a marriage, a friend, coworker, relationships don't go real well, real well when, when expectations are held over someone's head. It's not how God works. Does he want us to do the right things? Most definitely. But he wants us to do the right things because he knows that we were made and we function at our best to do the right things. Because he loves us. It's a relational thing. And, and today, maybe you're here in person, you're watching online, one of the shelters, and you're like, Nick, I, I, I've been trying to do all the right things. I've spent my whole life and I've fallen short. I've failed every time and I feel so discouraged and disappointed and I've tried so very hard and I've been so disciplined in seasons and then undisciplined in other seasons and, and my life feels like it's a roller coaster ride because I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I get so discouraged and disappointed and beat myself up over it. You know, the Apostle Paul spoke to that idea in his letter to the Romans uh, earlier than what we read before, Romans 3. It said, for all have sinned and fallen short. Everyone. The smart ones, the, the rich ones, the poor ones. Everyone. We all fall short. Because it's not about following the rules. It's not about what we do. It's about who we pursue. And maybe you're here or maybe you're watching online and You've never heard that idea that it's about pursuing Jesus, not about doing things for him. That sounds like such an anti-religious thing, and, and it is. And I wanna give you an opportunity before we're gonna close just in a time of worship. I wanna give you an opportunity to say, you know what? Today, I wanna set aside my doing. I wanna pick up my being. I wanna step into being a human being again and pursuing a person. His name is Jesus. He is the one who died on the cross and rose again three days later. He didn't just do that so we had more stuff to do. He did that so we could be who he created us to be, so we could be forgiven, so we could be whole, so we could be healed. He did that for us because he loves us. It was an act of relationship, not an act of religious practice. 
And maybe you've never heard that. Maybe you've never taken that step to follow him, not to be religious, but to follow him, to be in relationship with the God that loves you, that is living and breathing and cares so much about you, has a purpose for you. And I'm gonna pray here in a minute. And if that's you, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to say, you know what? I wanna start that today. I wanna begin that journey that, that I pray will last the rest of your life, that you pursue the purpose that your creator made you for, that you experience the forgiveness that Jesus made possible when he walked out of that grave, that you experience the fullness of a relationship with God, not some religious practice that could be so hollow and empty. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you Don't ask us to do the impossible. God, you don't ask us to do what we aren't capable of doing, Lord, but you call us to do more than we think is even possible. Not because because you, you want us to be perfect, not because you want us to follow a list of rules, but God, because you love us, because you long for a relationship with us. And in all the things we pursue, Lord, that our relationship with you is actually the one thing we need most. Holy Spirit, I pray in this moment, for those sitting in the shelter all over the city, for those watching online in their living room or wherever they are. God, for those sitting here, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to do the work that I can't, do the work that my words can't, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to confirm the thoughts that are going through your heads right now. Lord, that they need, this is what I've been looking for, this is what I've been longing for, this is what I've been waiting for in my life. That I don't have to beat myself up over what I have or have not done but I can experience this divine relationship. A relationship that brings hope, healing, wholeness. As you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here watching online in one of the shelters and you say, Nick, I've never, I've never began a a, a journey or or began to, to pursue this guy named Jesus. I never knew that God would actually want to know me. Not just me to do things for him, but to actually know me. I didn't know that was even a thing. And you say, today, today, I wanna begin that journey of following Jesus, of pursuing Jesus, of of living my life in the context of what he's called me to, what he asks of me. I I wanna live my life in a relationship with him where I can talk to him, he can talk to me. You've never taken that step. You've never experienced his forgiveness of all the things you've tried so hard to do and fallen short. If that's you this morning, wherever you are, I'm gonna count to three. And on, th- on the three, I'm gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven. That's not for me. That's not for, for, for God. God knows your heart. That's for you. That's an act of your will where you're saying, you know what? I'm not just gonna think this. I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven to say, you know what? Jesus, today, it's you and me. From this day on, it's you and me. We're gonna make it through this. I'm gonna pursue you. I want more of you in my life. If that's you this morning, wherever you are, on the count of three, one, two, three. Would you reach your hand toward heaven this morning? Amen, 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 amen. Anyone else today? Amen. Thank you for those who are raising hands in the shelters and here in person. You can put your hands down. I'm gonna ask everyone to pray this prayer with me. And, and my hope, if you're not a praying person, my hope is that you get really religious and you become a praying person. My hope is that you can continue a relationship with Jesus as you pursue him, as you talk to him. That's what prayer is. It's a conversation with him. Every healthy relationship rises and falls on its level of communication, that you are willing to talk to Jesus in the good moments, in the angry moments, in the difficult moments, in the joyous moments, that you can talk to him. 
Would you all pray this prayer with me together? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me just as I am, just as I sit here right now. Thank you for not judging me, excluding me, or pushing me aside. Today, I accept your forgiveness. I commit to follow you, to pursue you, to not define our relationship by the things I do, but who you are and who you've called me to be. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you all the days of my life, to show your love to the world around me. Thank you for loving me and welcoming me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 